Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman David Campbell. With both the MEC meeting and the market rate adjustment negotiations behind us, we all figured it'd be a good opportunity to do another State of the Union episode and talk about a number of issues that continue to generate questions and feedback to the MEC. Today I'll be speaking with MEC Chairman Will McQuillan, Negotiating Chairman David Willem, and Scheduling Chairman Scott Rubin. Before we dive in, Will, catch us up on the work of the MEC these days. Well, thanks, David. And I'm actually going to start with what you just said and the issues that we highlighted on the last podcast. Foundational to what we've been doing has been working on the attract-retain issue and attrition. And that starts with the MRA. That's foundational. It's behind us. And it turned out really well. And I think that once we see the effect of that on the checks that issue on 920, we're off to a good start. At the MEC meeting, the reps received and provided good feedback to your, your negotiating committee and receive feedback from you directly about those quality of life issues that have got to be addressed if the company wants to solve their attrition problem, the attract, retain, quality of life issues that are on the minds of pilots. And I think that it does bear a reminder, the reason we want a voice in these discussions is that some of these issues that we're talking about are things the company could do unilaterally. And what we're trying to do is find a voice at the table and provide that meaningful input, your input, that ensures that pilot interests, what really matters to pilots, is what happens. Yeah, and well, a couple of things that come to mind immediately for me are basing. I know that's on a lot of folks' minds. The company has the ability to open new bases and also the commuter hotel program. They can provide notice to terminate the MOU. So we want to be involved in those conversations to present the pilot's perspective. Yeah, definitely. I mean, basing and things like the commuter hotel program have a meaningful impact on pilots' lives. And then, as we said earlier, the ability to attract, retain pilots, control attrition. And I think it's very important that we have a voice in those discussions. Is there good news? How impactful have you been able to be with management on these sorts of issues? Well, I think, obviously, if you look at the MRA, we have been, and that they do seem to take, in a number of arenas, our voices, our opinions, our SME input quite seriously these days. They value that input. And one issue that we're going to talk about here shortly when we discuss what's happened here in San Francisco where sadly it's kind of come on the recovery side instead of uh, a few months ago, maybe where that conversation should have had. But yes, I think in general, we're finding that the ALPA perspective and voices have made it to the discussion. Well, that is good to know, Will. And it looks like really we're focused on quality of life issues that impact pilots. And that comes in two parts, right? The attract and retain, and then also implementing what you work through. Right, exactly. And I guess that is the other part of a great deal of our work in here these days is implementation. Because as we've said on the other podcast, scheduling flexibility comes with PBS and with the new reserve system. They need to be there. And in addition to that, staffing has got to be there to make it work, as we've said many times. And then, of course, the, the daily workload of making sure that things like PBS and the new reserve system are on track, that we're meeting our goals. Will, thanks for bringing that up. We talk about attract and retain a lot. And in a lot of ways, that sounds like a corporate problem to solve, but it affects us in some important ways too, which is why we care about it. And maybe we'll just turn to Scott. Explain to us why that matters. Our whole system of trip trading and pilot flexibility is much improved in this new CBA. But one key element to it is having the proper staffing level so that we can see that flexibility as a pilot group. So you can actually drop the trip that you want to drop or make the trade that you would like to trade. So retention of our pilots that we hire is important to all of us because if we lose them like we've been, 
it puts us in a position where none of us can actually do the trip trading, have the quality of life that we want. So I think it's really highlighting the importance of solving these quality of life and the attract, retain issues for the benefit of the whole pilot group, not just the company. It's an important pilot issue at this point. Right. It, it, it does. It impacts, obviously, when we talk about career progression and how quickly your upgrades come, they have good aspirational growth plans on the table. They have to be able to execute on them. But to your point, all the things that we cooked into the language have to be facilitated by staffing. We've got to have the pilots to make them work effectively. And so the, it all comes full circle. Yeah. And I think when we talk about San Francisco here in a little bit, we can illustrate just exactly how impactful it can be. Scott, that's a great point. I want to get to that in just a minute. But before we do, let's talk about PBS and how or whether it's on track. Thanks, David. It's a good question. We've been in many PBS meetings and implementation meetings since we signed this CBA. Um, I can tell you everybody's working really hard to achieve the goals. In the last month or so, NavBlue, the selected vendor for our PBS system, has missed a couple of deadlines on releases of programming that they were scheduled to do. They still maintain that they will make the deadline of having the release package for us on October 31st is the target deadline in order for us to hit the programming and the regression testing goals that the, we've set. So they're still saying they're on track and going to meet that, but they have missed a couple uh, deadlines of late which we'll see how concerning that ends up being as we proceed further into the fall. I think it's a good point, Scott, that while we're still being told that everything's going to be met on time, we do have a very watchful eye on it. Uh, we're involved in all of the meetings. We're tracking all of the, the minutiae and the details that have to come together. And it's safe to say that the first time that we actually do start to believe that that's going to slip, that we'll let the pilots know. We'll be transparent on it. And David, you and your committee are paying attention to this as well, right? That's right. We are part of the executive steering committee and we're laser focused and you know, ensuring that this program is on time and uh, we will continue to do that. So Ruben, you brought up San Francisco a few minutes ago and I kind of got you off track. So let's get back to that. Well, the biggest issue right now with San Francisco is a lack of first officers. All the new hires are pretty much getting sent to San Francisco and then first opportunity they have, they bid out. So it's been really tough to retain first officers in San Francisco. Because of the lack of first officers, the growth has been hampered and handcuffed so that instead of having double the amount of flying down there right now as was in the plan, we're at 62 lines worth because that's all the first officers there's available. So we've gotten lots of feedback from the pilots, especially the captains down there that Hey, where's all the lines that were forecasted to be in San Francisco when I bid San Francisco? And what we've been telling the pilots is, yeah, we're short FOs and you could build an extra 40 lines in San Francisco, but you wouldn't have the 40 FOs to cover those extra lines. But how did we get there, I think, is important for the pilot group to know. And I do want to you know, note something that you said there, Ruben, which is that the frustration's you know, real. That imbalance... And the fact that it was telegraphed in that bid, 2023-10, that there was going to be this amount of flying in San Francisco. It's important to note that frustration. You've got people who've been here 10, 12 years on reserve, and that shouldn't be happening, right? Especially when they were telegraphed something very, very different. And I do want to focus a little bit on the how did we get there piece of it. And, you know, obviously, 
you noted, we've always talked about the attrition factor when we look at where, where they have the biggest problem of being able to attract, retain, keep people who are in San Francisco. And so many FOs took the opportunity to bid out. There was a truly a big backfill lift of training on that bid. And the membership committee did raise the flag at that time and said, how are you going to accomplish this? And we were told it'll be fine. We've got a plan. It will be executed on and that the, the bodies will be there. And now we don't see them. And we've been told that, yes, they will be there come December with training releases, but that doesn't fix the problem that happened this month and probably next month, unless we get real proactive. And we'll talk about that piece here in a bit. There's the attrition, the attract retain problem, and the fact that, candidly, when it came to training, which is a constrained resource, the company chose to focus on transition training. And so transition training to the detriment of that new hire training that would have backfilled those new hire positions. So with all that said, I think in my opinion, and mostly you know, everybody sitting in this room's opinion, the company should have slowed the pace of that transition training. You know, and that's something we can only advocate for. We can't force it. The other frustration is that they didn't use other tools in their, their toolbox, right? Like TDY to help address the situation. Yeah, well, in our ARC meetings, we started asking the company if they had any TDY plans months ago before they even did the first round of TDY. And we would question, why aren't you TDY to try to help a base that is low staffed in one position, one seat and was overstaffed in another. And it took us months before the company finally decided to go and utilize that. They did it for two bid periods where San Francisco captains went to Portland. When we asked them about, are you going to use it for October? They said, well, we need to take a break and see if this is working out the way we plan. And so this is still a tool in the toolbox that they can use. They certainly could take uh, some FOs from another base and help out in San Francisco. Same with the San Francisco captains, although, you know, the language limit, limits it to one more month that they can do that. But uh, TDY was certainly something that we brought up months ago, which illustrated that we kind of saw this coming. Right. And I just want to put a point before we talk about what we're doing about this that the frustrating part is, is that even though we had the advocacy when we talked to certain departments here, whether that's crew planning or training, and being able to see what the bigger picture was and what needed to be done, that we weren't able to have that meaningful impact and possibly could have avoided that. And that's kind of the point of what we're talking about today, is that we have to have a meaningful impact and a voice at the table when it comes to pilot-centric things. So, Will, it sounds clear that we've been abdicating or like from your level up with management to do something about it. Scott, from your end, what what have you guys been working on or what do you need to see? Well, I think it's important to understand what the scheduling committee can and can't do. The company sets the basing. In other words, how much block hours go to each base. That's one of their jobs is to tell us how much flying is a base is going to have. And that's how they control the size of a base. So when the Boeing base opened in San Francisco, for example, there wasn't enough block hours in there to make very decent schedules. So we really advocated to increase the block hours in San Francisco. Then things started to get a little bit better. We need a bigger envelope, more block hours to help San Francisco produce better schedules. Then the company kind of overshot on their staffing. And so we had a bid period where I think nine to 11 lines were not awarded because they didn't have FOs to award them to. And then the company overcorrected and cut the block hours again. 
we finally got back to a more uh, not ideal by any stretch but more block hours which helps us build better schedules but that all came from advocacy from the scheduling committee we have ben brooks building the lines for san francisco still and for those of you that don't know ben he ran pbs for virgin america for years still super involved and even involved in our future pbs system jim tedford has built the airbus pairings for 12 years and continues to build pairings on the Boeing. So we have this great resource of feedback and we constant contact with the reps for San Francisco. We get the pilot feedback constantly. So in one of the things that we've done in, in the recently through the summer is we needed more commutable daytime four day trips in San Francisco. And we advocated for crew planning to actually increase the allotment of four days in San Fran and worked with the company to get that allocation put in there so we could actually produce a, a commutable four day. Again, would we want to do more of those? Absolutely, because that's what the base is desiring. But we're limited by the amount of block hours. And those block hours are limited by the number of first officers they have. That's just the coffin corner that we're in right now. Stop me if I'm wrong here. It sounds like what I'm hearing is there are people on management that are big picture people who understand this and who you're able to have conversations with and seem to be wanting to move the ball forward in a way that is both good for the company and in a way that helps pilots, improves their quality of life, et cetera. Then as you go down the organizational chart, there are small picture people making old fashioned decisions that are maybe saving costs in the short run, but aren't really having the big impact on the company as a whole that are helping us as a company move forward. Am I off base on that at all? No, I think you kind of hit the, the nail on the head that we've been able to move forward meaningfully because there are people who do find that our voice, our input, and the things that we advocate for really do make not just a change in pilots' lives, but they advance you know company growth goals and interests as well. And that has been the rewarding part is evidenced, again, looking back at like the MRA, but then we hit these day-to-day -day struggles and that's where we're trying to have that meaningful impact, that voice to have that trickle down to say, no, really, if you would listen to what we have to say, we're going to be able to have a better outcome overall for everybody involved. Coming back to not just this problem, but to earlier, this isn't just about fixing an attrition problem or solving the attract retain. You know, it's also a cultural problem that prioritizes costs over everything else. And I think that when you take our input and you listen to what we have to say and how we fix and address pilot problems, that you're going to have a better outcome, better result. Okay, so I'd like to shift the conversation a bit to another topic we get a lot of questions on, which is vacation. And I'll start it off with a specific one about the single-day vacation. Yeah, thanks, David. Um, single-day vacations, uh, as has been communicated, that will no longer be an option in, starting in 2024. With PBS, it's really not a game changer anyhow, as uh, single days don't really benefit the pilot using a PBS. Additionally, with uh, the addition of golden days off and violet days, we have a lot of flexibility with vacation use in 2024. And it's really important to read the information that's been uh, published already, if you have questions or just, just in general, because there are a lot of changes, but the information's out there and we really encourage the pilots while we're doing the bidding process for next year's vacation to dig into that information and uh, ensure that they understand how, how to use our vacation with the, uh, with the new systems that we'll have in place. 
So in other words, the, the ways that we had been using that single day vacation to our advantage, there, there are new tools to achieve the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Remember, we're placing credit on our lines with PBS and PBS will build your uh, schedule around those credit days. And the golden days off will uh, be a tool that can be used to uh, ensure days off, no credit involved. The inviolate days will also ensure, you know, when they're attached to blocks of five or more vacation days, will give you greater flexibility during those months where you have vacation just to ensure you have the time off that you uh, desire for those uh, vacations. And to be clear, David, for 2024, you can still have one single day of vacation at a bid period. You just can't have more than one single day. And as long as you have two back-to-back or two or more, you can have all the vacation trading you want. So that's, that's still in 2024. I think we've calmed it. You've just said it. I want to double down on it once again. Once PBS starts, so in April, we're going to bid for the May 2024 using PBS. That's when you want to really consider having blocks of five or more days on your vacation because we, you can get the most utility from our new negotiated language in our PBS out of your vacation if you have those blocks of five. So um, we've calmed it. And just want to say it. We said it on the last podcast, Will, you did. So just want to say it again. Keep those blocks of five are super beneficial to you to keep going into PBS. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a very good point, Scott. Yeah. And I want to jump on something real quick. Even though we keep talking about blocks of five, your bidding would still be in blocks of seven, seven or more days or the equivalent 14, such as you know, one of the features of our vacation is the varying lengths of vacation that you can bid. And those are still bid in seven day blocks is a minimum, but you obviously, if you are trading down to five, that's where you have opportunity to use some of these tools that you've talked about. And when we say bidding, we're talking about vacation bidding has to be in blocks of seven. Yes. When you bid your monthly schedule, the blocks of five under PBS of vacation are what's important. What you do in between there, trading wise, once the trading window opens November 3rd, it's also the same day GDOs open. That's up to you. The other thing too, uh, on the GDOs that we mentioned, at the last MEC meeting, we got a chance to demo the Golden Day Off platform that pilots will use in order to select Golden Days Off if they're available, uh, still available. Um, it's actually a very good system that's been developed. I think it's going to be very user-friendly. As we get closer to November 3rd, when the, the window opens for picking up GDOs, we'll be putting out comms that show you how to use it. But I can tell you it's very intuitive. You'll find that link on the pilot webpage under Flight Crew Admin when the time comes. That's how you'll ultimately use that platform to select your golden days off. Yeah, that's right, Scott. And that's that platform is throughout the year also, right? It's, it's not a one-time selection process. So that's when the selection begins. And uh, throughout the year, you'll have opportunities to maneuver those days if you choose. To do so. Right. You can add them, remove them up until the window closes for that bid period where you had a golden day off. But yes, um, if in May, for example, you learn that you have a wedding to attend in November, as long as those days are still available, you'll still be able to select those. Hey, Will, a number of pilots have pointed out that it appears as if there are less vacation days available this year for any given base and seat as compared to last year. Is that correct? What's happening here? They did meet the contractual minimum. 
And it's the same as it has been in years past, which is strictly speaking that they have to at least have the number of days that are owed each pilot based on their longevity and step and those types of things. But in addition, it's the extra vacation that they add on top of that obligation that makes the difference between having biddable blocks in round four in some of our smaller bases. And this year they played things a little bit tighter to the vest. Well, you kind of hinted at this a minute ago. Why do we have four rounds of vacation? Well, obviously, you know, we have some unique features in our vacation bidding that allow us to start a vacation, not on a calendar week, any day, cross months, things like that. But the the four rounds are actually kind of necessary because we have one of the highest accrual rates in the industry that allow our pilots to accrue up to 41 days. And so pilots will naturally end up carrying vacation sometimes into, into round four. So I think each one of you mentioned it. I'll just remind everyone, there are other products that we've created that talk a lot about vacation. The first one was a podcast episode dedicated strictly to this, and that came out as the tentative agreement came out. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, but you can find it on the podcast page as well. And then the scheduling committee just created a great document giving you some tips about planning for and bidding for vacation for 2024. I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. All right. Well, Will, I think that covered the topics that we came in to discuss today on this episode. You want to close us out? I know you've got some closing remarks. Yeah. I want to start by focusing on a few things that we've already noted and talked about earlier in this podcast. Even though management has listened to us and we did have a solid outcome on the MRA, that there's still work to be done in advancing ALPA perspectives and our SME experience on those outcomes that impact us and in some ways also impacts the company. As mentioned earlier, some of the management team's quite receptive to our input and others continue to adhere to a simple cost focus. That's an obstacle we have to overcome. The key is to get others receptive so that they're proactive in involving ALPA input and not reactive when things like the San Francisco staffing imbalance happen. All these things are key to making Alaska a career and not a stepping stone airline, solving the attract-retain problem. And as one final note, I'll say September 30th marks the final flight of the Airbus, and it's an important date to note in our history because to many, this isn't just the retirement of a fleet, which I think is always personal to a pilot who's flown an airplane for any portion of their career, but it's more personal to a big portion of this pilot group who invest just a lot more. It's another chapter in our post-merger story, and it feels very personal to those who invested and, as noted earlier, have sacrificed a lot in the post-merger experience. Companies planning to mark this milestone, and I hope they do so in a meaningful way, you know, not corporate window dressing. Say what you will about corporate execution of the merger, but the, the legacy Airbus pilots have given a lot and brought a lot of unity and helped shape the CBA that all of us as Alaska pilots enjoy today. I say it to every new higher class, but it's pilot unity and focus and how we move forward together comes from common goals, focus, and exchange of ideas, where we all came from and what we've learned and how we do things better together. And during the merger, it was that exchange of ideas, experiences that truly galvanized this pilot group, and it made a difference. To bring it full circle, when I talk about exchanging ideas, perspectives, better outcomes, that is exactly what we're trying to do here with the company every day. Stick the pilot perspective into business decisions, move beyond that spreadsheet to make this airline stronger, more successful for everybody, and growing in a way that creates a fulfilling career for Alaska pilots. We're challenging the company to create, share, and execute a vision for this airline that includes your priorities and accomplishes the goals that we've articulated here. Foundational to all of that is your continued engagement and input. 
Thank you again for your unity, your resolve, and that engagement. Excellent. Well, thank you, Will, and thanks to all of you for coming in today. I'd, of course, like to thank our listeners. You've been listening to another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. Thank you.